Hey, I just wanted to let everyone know who doesn't follow the Conquest of Bliss social media pages that the last episode of the Conquest of Bliss will be coming out on March 24th, 2022. Uh, this decision was made for health reasons, which is why I've chosen to make the announcement on the episode that I talk about health. So uh, this episode, I talked to an amazing expert who is the founder of the International Pain Organization. And we talk about some of the challenges of having disabilities. And anyways, the uh, you'll, you'll hear the episode. Um, the big thing, the big takeaway from this last episode, March 24th, I'll talk a little bit more about what caused me to make this decision. Thank you so much. You guys have a wonderful day or enjoy the episode or whatever normal people would say after this announcement. The Conquest of Bliss, a podcast about finding light in the darkness. Hello and welcome back to the Conquest of Bliss. I am here with Barbie Engel from the International Pain Foundation, right? Yes, nice. perfect. Okay, and uh, how are you today, Barbie? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to have you on and to talk a lot or a little or whatever. I didn't mean to say a lot to talk a little about, <laughs> uh, about you know, kind of what you do, what led you to doing it and, you know, what people, you know, what people can, can do to make their lives a little bit easier when they're dealing with the same types of issues. So can you talk a little bit before we get started too much about your work? What does it look like? A little bit about November, you know? Sure. <laughs> so I, oh, what does my work look like? It's different every day because I live with chronic and rare diseases. So my every day is different because I don't know what I'm going to be facing when I get up in the morning. Fair enough. And um, notice I didn't say sleep because <laughs> I don't <laughs> sleep a lot. Um, but in the worse that my pain and symptoms get, the less sleep. They call it pain somnia. So, um, so my work is based around four areas, which is education for patients like me, for caregivers so they can help take care of their patients, and um, which includes family and friends, loved ones, and then um, the medical professionals and industry leaders that. Um, are in the business of trying to help people with the conditions that are rare and chronic, but yet they don't know what it's actually like to live with these conditions. So I help educate them as well. And then I also do awareness for the public and social events for patients and their families and access to care, which is peer-to-peer -peer mentoring, as well as working on some legislation to try to get the proper and timely care that we need as patients and I also love music so um, I've published um, or been involved in publishing four different songs already and I am the editor of IPain Living Magazine and I've published nine books myself well some with the publisher some on my own but nine books that I'm the author of or co-author wow. of yeah so I just do a little bit of everything and I jump around I don't know when I will be able to do things. So I try if I'm feeling okay to do something on yeah, my yeah. to-do list. And when I'm not feeling okay, I try to let go of the guilt 
of not being able to do it and um, take the time I need to, to rest. But uh, our biggest project is during the month of November, November, and Nervember is nerve ember. Nerve is nerve pain conditions, and ember is the burning fire pain that most of us live with when we have these conditions. And um, we, during November, we recognize um, 100, over 150 conditions that involve nerve pain, but we um, really focus in on 60 conditions, and we do two a day that um, maybe they're new to me or new to our board of directors or um, some of them are staples that we do every single year, like sarcoidosis or ankylosing spondylitis or reflex sympathetic dystrophy. So, um, you know, it, it really just depends on, you know, what what we decide to do as, as a group. But November is always my busiest year. <laughs> December, January, February are my take time for me months. <laughs> yeah, I get you. Um, yeah, you said a lot, a lot there. I didn't expect it to be quite so all encompassing. That's amazing. Um, so I have so many questions. Um, the first one though, is I wanted to comment on, yeah, that's very much how I have to run my work as well. And you, you pointed out the guilt and that is the hardest part by far is when you're unwell and you're just feeling guilty. You're like, I'm not productive. I should be getting things done so frustrating but um so I'm, I'm dying to know how did you get into all of this like did like it sounds like some of this didn't exist before you joined it and and so can you can you elaborate a little bit on your story there sure uh so it takes multiple books to tell my whole story um so <laughs> i'll give you the the podcast version and um i uh had endometriosis i went through that. Um, I ended up having a full hysterectomy and an oophorectomy. Uh, and um, I was like, I conquered the world, even though a hysterectomy isn't really a, a cure. It's just a long-term treatment. <laughs> I'm removing body parts. But um, I felt like I conquered the world. And then I had a very minor car accident. And uh, after that, my body was on fire. Actually, my face, neck, and shoulder we're on fire and uh, I started going, they told me I had whiplash, I'd be better. And then one thing led to another three months or three years later, I still you know, was looking for a diagnosis. I had seen 42 doctors. My 43rd doctor was actually able to diagnose me. It is a rare disease, so it's harder to recognize the symptoms or understand them or know how to treat them. And so that was a process. And every year my family would say, hey, at Thanksgiving, we would come up with a family project for Christmas or during that month in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So, you know, we did all those silly things like um, go to the, the nursing home and, and be with people when they didn't have a lot of family around or go to a homeless shelter and help serve food or collect food or um, go sing Christmas carols door to door or different things each year that that you know looking back maybe weren't as impactful as we thought we were being mm -hmm. it, it was helpful for those people but not on a big scale yeah I get you and uh, my brother said you know it took us so long to get Barbie help and my stepsister passed away that same year 2006 oh. same condition that I have no way yeah but again no blood relation there we just both happened to get a rare disease, the same rare disease. So, um, but she had it much longer than me and we didn't know, understand or pay attention, but she got it very young and I was 29. 
So I had lived my life. I was living my life when I got sick and um, everybody knew I wouldn't give up what I had. And, and so they, my brother said, you know, we should, we should start something. We should do something to help people like Melanie and Barbie. And my dad said, if we're going to do this, we have to do it right. And we have to register and become a nonprofit. And this is more than a one month project. This is going to be something we do long-term. And at that time I was still bed bound and wheelchair bound and uh, not really living much life. My stepsister had just passed away from complications and a few months earlier. And um, they said, we're gonna do this and started the foundation. And, uh, and I wanted to be a part of it because what happened to me needing 43 doctors to get diagnosed should never happen to anybody. Yeah, uh, I was overtreated, undertreated and mistreated. And my family saw that and recognized it. We had to do something to make a difference. And this was the way we were going to do it. And we started off real small, just a family foundation. And over the years, we grew a bit. First, we were the power of pain foundation. And as we grew, we ended up uh, updating our name and our scope and goals and everything to be a more global project that can help more people and not just with my disease, but with other diseases as well. You know, it's, it's interesting because maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like I've heard of the International Pain Foundation before oh, this conversation. I hope so. <laughs> I think, I think that I have, um, you know, being someone with chronic pain, you know, so yep. that would definitely be in my wheelhouse. So you're, and we you're actually, our magazine is actually sold in um, chapters books up in Canada. So you might have seen our magazine or you might have heard about the foundation or other projects and programs that we have as well. Very, that's, very welcome. Uh, that's amazing. Um, congratulations on the growth. Um, so it sounds like you started the foundation on helping people to, to navigate the systems and get proper diagnoses. Yes. Uh, advocacy would have been the, the start. And then, right. And then it and, brought into awareness. Yes. Well, and, and really, I don't even know. I think right from the beginning, we knew our first event was an educational event. And we said at that event, um, we said it needs to be for everybody at the table. You can't, it's like a Thanksgiving table. You can't exclude anybody. You have to work with everybody, the patient, the caregiver, the provider, the industry, the legislators. So right from the first event we had that goal to work with everybody involved and then we expanded as to which conditions and options and treatments and awareness and so our biggest awareness project is november and um and that started a couple of years after the foundation started so it was education first and then awareness and and social events like patients isolate a lot and i mm -hmm. find myself doing the same and it's like a reminder, get out, get, talk to somebody, talk to the person cutting your hair, or the person in the grocery store, just share a little about your life journey. That's what we're here on earth to do. Human mm -hmm. connection is what matters. Well, and that's, uh, and it's really interesting because I, I am someone who, um, so I was on disability for, for quite a while. I, I still am on disability, but now I'm actually doing something that I can tell people that I do. Um, and I don't know if you ever dealt with something similar, but like people would ask what I do and mm -hmm. I would, I'd be like, well, I'm on disability. And then they'd hear that I'm on disability and they'd be like, oh, well, my tax money helps pay for that. And then oh. they'd start asking all sorts of really invasive questions. But the, the good side of that is that I got very used to talking about it and noticed that 
a lot of people are really, really like surprised that I'm so willing to talk about it. So is that something that a lot of people that you meet struggle with is, is actually verbalizing what's going on and admitting it? Absolutely. And I think that um, for me, what I go back to is I, I got to work uh, for, you know, a few, you know, from 17 years old to 29. And I still continue to try to work, even though I was doing a bad job at it after that. Um, <laughs> me too, me too, I get you. <laughs> and, but when people say like, I'm paying your taxes. Well, I paid into the system for this moment. It's like for here in America, it's like insurance. Like I paid into the system so that if I ever was hurt, disabled, injured, or something catastrophic happened, I would have some kind of safety net. That's what our disability system is designed to be. And I think most countries do the same. Like, yes, the taxpayers paying in, they're paying in for their own what if day. Mm -hmm. So, well, and even further to that one time, my, my partner and I just did some quick math with his paycheck. Um, and it turned out that he was paying like fractions of a penny toward any given person's disability check. Like we looked up all the numbers and then did exactly, the math yeah. and it's, it's nothing. Yeah. And I was going <laughs> to say like, like five cents of every research dollar, which is a fraction of the economy, um, especially the healthcare economy is it's research is so small and it needs to be a lot bigger, but five cents of, of it goes to help somebody with a rare disease. Mm -hmm. you know, with a chronic illness. And so really, what are you putting it? You want to help give more, <laughs> put it towards research, put it towards getting people back into society and helping us be an uh, active participant in society instead of sitting here and complaining. But if we're not willing to share back to your original point, if we're not willing to share, then we can't help society help us. Mm -hmm. And we can't be as fulfilling and, and do something that's that's giving back to society because we don't have the appropriate tools needed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're 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 tiddly cents on a on a, on a dollar um, doesn't necessarily help the person that's on disability, but stopping listening paying attention, letting us plant seeds about what we're going through so that one day when they need a tree of knowledge in that area, that they have that tree, they're like, oh, I got stopped on, on the street by this person and I didn't understand, but here I am in this situation and, and now it's coming full circle. Yeah. So it, it's in Canada, it affects one in five people. In America, it's one in three people with a, with a chronic condition. So it's you or somebody you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I mean, I think that that's, that's really, really true. Like, I know that before I started sharing, um, I had a lot more issues with sort of the stigmas and the, you don't look sick and are you sure? And, and like these, these weird questions that were like, what do you mean? You know, yep. um, and, I got and, that yesterday. Yeah. Is yes. And I was like, well, God gave me looks. He didn't give me health. Like, <laughs> it's a snappy comeback, but it makes them stop and think like, oh, I shouldn't have said something or maybe I need to think further on what I how I'm approaching people. But just because you don't look sick doesn't mean that you're not the sickest one in the room. 
Yeah. And, and I found like early on in my journey, and maybe this is similar for you, dealing with all that stigma and that shame and that guilt and all that confusing stuff is that like, I would kind of waffle back and forth between trying to appear not sick or trying to make sure that everyone knew when I was doing really bad. So like my hands would swell up and I'd be like, look at how swollen my hands are. And I mean, I still do that sometimes to my partner, but, but you know, like, like almost like I'm, I'm either trying to hide it or prove it always, you know? And it's like, it's like, I should be allowed to just live my life, you know? And, and yeah, anyways, sorry. No, Um, I, I a hundred percent agree with you. And, and we do that. And, and there's times like my skin will like change color and like sometimes like it's a demarcated line or sometimes it looks like spider webs and so when it's spider webs people don't notice as much but when like half my fingers turn one color and and half are another it's like look it look it this is what i feel like you can see this for a moment so and so you want to share and, and show but then i also feel bad for the people who and, and I try not to let myself take on other people's guilt. I will physically take the guilt off my chest and drop it back out away from my body in front of other people and go, oh, I'm going to let go of that guilt. And sometimes I say it and sometimes I just mentally am like not accepting your negativity. I'm me. I am good enough. There goes your guilt. I'm going to set it over there because I don't need it. And <laughs> and so um, but I do the same thing. I'm like, look. Can you see this? Or, or if I'm having like, I recently went through shingles. I'm like, Hey, there's something on my back. And, and my husband's like, can, I don't see it. I'm like, no, no, get it, get a magnifying glass if you can't see it, but it's there. And now he just knows to look and appease me and be like, okay. <laughs> and then sometimes he'll be like, Oh, you have a shingles blister. Sometimes it just hurts. Cause it hurts. And sometimes he can actually find something this last time. He's like, yeah, don't touch it. It's shingles blisters. I'm like, okay, like at least he knows and can see something. But sometimes he just has to trust and believe that when I say it's on fire right now, like I'm on fire, you just have to trust and believe that I feel like I'm on fire, even though you can't see the flames. Yeah. And I think that, I think that having a good partner has made a big difference for me. Like I get this weird. So I have, I think it's called like Trojans or something. It's with the dry mouth and dry eyes. Children's? I think so. Mm-hmm. Is that the one with the dry mouth and dry eyes? Uh-huh. Okay. So um, a side effect of that is my, my eyelid on the bottom will flip inside out. Ooh. I like flip inward and then it can scratch my eyes. This whole yep. thing. I could get surgery. I don't want to. Anyways, um, every, every time that that happens, um, I'm like, like, Matt, you have to look at it. And he'll be like, oh, that was a good one. Like, you know, like he really, really plays along with me because I know that it's not that interesting, but I feel like I don't want to be in pain for nothing. So I want it to be entertaining at least, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Very, I'm very much similar to that. And and like, look, this is like, this is seeable right now. My (laughs) invisible became visible. Look, it's interesting. Yeah. And that's, a, but just saying interesting is a supportive method or tool that helps us through that moment. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not crazy. My eye literally just flipped inside out or <laughs> I, I didn't trip. I just had, in, I, I just had vertigo where everything flipped upside down. I'm on the ground, not because I tripped over my own foot, but literally I thought I was on the ceiling for a moment. Yeah. My brain glitched out. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so I guess leading into like, we're just kind of bonding, which is fantastic. Right? Um, but leading into uh, sort of when you start dealing with the navigation, so you said you saw 42 doctors before someone helped. And since then, you've done a lot of research, a lot of education. So if someone was newly um, experiencing symptoms, how how might you like what's the first thing that you would recommend to them to avoid that kind of arduous painstaking journey get to know what you're going through even if you don't have a name for it yet and it's called idiopathic whatever oh, okay. uh, <laughs> I hate that word <laughs> yeah idiopathic means your doctor's an idiot they just haven't figured it out yet <laughs> Um, just kidding. But, yeah, no, it just means unexplained it, it, for anyone that doesn't that, know. Right. It just means that they don't know yet, but that yeah. doesn't mean that you don't have something going wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, so don't take on guilt of not knowing that what the doctor doesn't know. And, but learn as much as you can about what you're going through, what the symptoms are, the collection of symptoms. Sometimes it's a disease, which means that it's been well studied and they understand it a little bit better. Sometimes it's a syndrome, which means a collection of symptoms. Mm -hmm. Both are bad <laughs> or can be bad. Both have to be addressed. It just, that's the medical term that, that providers use to help themselves and insurance companies understand what's going on. So yeah. if you hear, oh, it's a syndrome, it means a collection of symptoms. And until they know the biomechanics of that condition, they can't rename it to a disease yet. Yeah. Well, because the syndrome could t hypothetically be multiple diseases that present the same. And they Correct. just don't know that the underlying issue is the same yet. So Exactly. They haven't <laughs> found the common denominator to, to the whole situation. Once they know that biomechanical reason, then even though it seems bizarre until then, it is something. So that's why they call it a syndrome. Mm -hmm. So that leads me to a follow-up question, which is, I guess, kind of what I do. So it works. Um, <clears throat> the follow-up question would be, there's a lot of stigma, especially from doctors, about doing research about your illness before talking to a doctor. Um, Find a different doctor. <laughs> and that's sometimes easier said than done. I recognize that. But you have to have people on your team. So that'd be the second thing. So first is do your research, know your condition. Second is, is have a good team up around you, your, your caregivers that are in your life on a daily basis or more often than your providers are, but also your team of providers. You're the, the coach, you're the captain, the, the pilot, whatever, the star. Position. you're the star, the head position, the north of this team. And you have to be responsible for your health and your care. So you use your providers as tools. No, they are not the end all be all. They cannot study like veterans, veterinarians study multiple species in all the parts and do surgery on all of them. In humans, they each have their own specialty. So you have to find the ones that are right for you. If they say, this is the treatment I can offer you, that's the treatment they can offer you. That doesn't mean it's the only treatment. It doesn't mean that you stop there. Yeah, it's so funny, people, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. People just have to recognize that that they are the leader of their team and that they're using these things in their life as tools. Yeah, um, just to, to your point, my dad and I were having a conversation at one point and uh, he's like, I don't understand why my endocrinologist doesn't know about, and then he picked something that had nothing to do with hormones. And I was like, because daddy's an endocrinologist. <laughs> like, because he's 
because he's a doctor specializing in one specific thing. And yes, it'd be nice if they knew all the connections, but the body of knowledge that we have is really, really challenging to like 12 years just isn't enough to know everything there is to know about human bodies. And that's why you right. need a team as you reference. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. And the third thing would be set the expectation as soon as possible. As soon as you know what your diagnosis is, you've already researched it, studied it, you got your team together, set the expectation with the other people that are around you or in your life. If you, for instance, for me, I don't like to host a party. I used to love to host a party. Now I'm like, I'll go to your party and I will stay as long as I can stay. But when I need to leave, if I need to get out of the situation, I can leave. I'm not still with a house full of people hosting this party and, and trying to spend my energy pennies to help other people get through my house and life and dishes and everything that comes after the party. So being a part of other people's parties and, and still being active and involved as much as I can. So if it's five minutes at the party or it's an hour or five hours at the party, I can leave when I need to leave. Yet I still got to have that human experience. Yeah. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. You look no, like you're going to say no, something. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, like, I think that that's a huge part of it is the, like we were talking about earlier, talking to people about it um, and then setting the boundaries, you know, going, you know, I would love to make myself fully available to you, but I'm not even fully available to me. Right. So, <laughs> I so can until I can put my own oxygen on and be breathing on my own. I cannot give you my oxygen. I can't, yeah. I don't have any extra. And and when you do, and you want to give them that moment. But I also have friends who, uh, and patients that I work with that they'll, they'll um, use a cane. And I'll tell a specific story. A, a woman was going to her friend's daughter's high school graduation. And the friend pulls up and she's like, you know, I, I want you to leave your cane in the car. You don't need it. And it takes attention away. This is, should be my daughter's moment, not your moment. Oof. Yeah. And, and my friend felt like degraded and guilty and she left her, her oh, uh, cane no. in the car and they have to walk a couple of blocks to get to the facility. And she's like struggling the whole way. And when she gets there, the friends, the, the, the friend of me says, see, I told you you could do it. <laughs> gross yes and you know and, and i'm like but you gave up your cane if you need your cane don't give up your cane don't give up your wheelchair or your tool whether it's a medical provider is the tool or your water bottle or your wheelchair your cane your heating blanket whatever it's not to take energy away from somebody else it's to give you the energy to participate in somebody else's activity or life and you wanted to be there she invited you to be there knowing that you use a cane. And after the event, she couldn't even walk back to the car. They had to walk back to the car, get the car and come and pick her up. Yeah. And they didn't see that as a loss. They saw that as at least you didn't use your cane and embarrass me in front of everybody. Yeah, those are not the kind of friends you want. Cause like <laughs> you're, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place because you can either argue with someone who clearly does not understand and respect your situation. Yeah. You know, like you're, you're yeah, that's, so it's that's a frenemy. Good. It's a frenemy. And well, I think that <laughs> I haven't come up with a good term for, for a healthcare provider that does that. But I've been to the point where I've like, I went in with, with kidney stones and 
They were not going to give me the care I knew I needed because of the rare disease. They didn't know the disease. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand why I was asking for what I was asking for. So, but I couldn't really walk at the moment. I was, um, I, I was not able to walk. And they made it very clear that they were not going to help me the way I needed. They were going to help me the way they wanted. And I didn't want to accept it. And I just said, okay. And I, I got dressed and I got down on the floor and I started crawling down the hall and I was leaving. Yeah. You can't be afraid to leave, even if you have to crawl. Um, <laughs> and, and they said, if we do what you want, will you stay? Because at that point, the hospital's in trouble for not treating yeah. me. Because what am I going to do? I'm going to go find a way to get to the next hospital that is able to do what I know that I need. Yeah. And, and. I'm like, why would I want treatment from a hospital that just told me they can't do what I want? And they're like, well, we can do it. We were kind of testing you. Oh, gross. Yeah. And so it's it's a hard situation. And as soon as you know, like, okay, I'm not going to die from whatever this is I'm here for. Um, I, they can get me stable and I can move on. That's exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. And I did that, you know, with my gallbladder surgery. And they're like, this is your gallbladder. It died. Um, and, and you need surgery. And I was like, well, if I don't get surgery in the next week, while I die, they're like, you'll have a lot of pain, but you won't die. And we're not going to give you any pain medicine, but you'll be okay. You'll live. You just aren't going to be able to eat. Um, and you're going to have a lot of pain. And I was like, all right, but I would rather have the team of providers that I know are yeah. on my team than have the other team working on me. That yeah, doesn't you're just a number to them. Right. In in a hospital paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that that like that this whole part of the conversation leads me to, you know, something that I think that's important to note is that like when your body starts failing you, it becomes that much more important that you're good at boundary setting, that much more important that you know yourself. Um because you just literally don't have like have you ever heard of the spoons? I don't know if it's a theory or whatever, but the spoons thing. Yep, and I, I actually um, talk about energy pennies instead of spoons. Um, I, I did talk about spoons and then I was working with legislators and they're like, why are you guys sending me spoons, which indicates heroin, which oh, indicates drug abuse and is addict. So that's how that's seen by our legislators. So I talk about energy pennies, which my cheerleading coach taught me back in the eighties. Interesting. And she would say no deposit, no return. What you put into the bank is, is, is what you can take out. And that's when it comes to being an athlete. Well, when you're chronically ill, you have to count your energy pennies. You only get 12 a day. You have to decide how you're going to spend your energy. Energy is something that's related to health. And after the legislators told me about, about how they see spoons, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was like, okay, yeah, I'm going back to what my coaches taught me. And that was energy pennies. And that makes more sense to me. It's health related. So, so uh, you'll hear me talk about energy pennies in a similar fashion. Yeah. So I honestly, like with the spoons thing, I don't really know where it comes from. And I find I it can, a, oh. a, a woman was talking or she was sitting at a table in another country on a vacation and somebody else was talking about something and they were using spoons to demonstrate and saying look you know i only got so much money and i spend this much on this and this much on this and and she was like oh i'm gonna take that for my health which is exactly what i did with my cheer coaches and energy pennies is i call it the energy penny principle and um 
you know, that's, that's what my coaches taught me. So it came from spoons came from somebody that was telling us that overheard somebody else telling a story. Got you. Cause yeah, I every time I try to my cheerleading coach, <laughs> every time I try to explain it to someone, they're like, but why is it spoons? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it, well, that's the story of the spoons, but, and again, that's, I use energy pennies because well, when I, I heard the story, it was about energy and pennies and well, what I you like put that. in is what you get out. I so. like that better too, because it's, you know, it's straightly correlated to value. You understand it pretty clearly. Right. Um, and energy is sucked away when you have a chronic illness. Like energy is one of the symptoms that we have or low energy. So doctors, medical providers understand it better. Legislators understand it better. So that's how we make changes in society is by using their words Mm -hmm. and giving them a meaning that's meaningful for and tells a whole story in a short totally summer. makes sense totally makes sense um but yeah so so i think that it becomes that much more important that you stand by like like and it can take a really long time if you're like me i'm extremely stubborn um i would continue trying to work didn't work out very well you know i mean thankfully actually that's how i ended up diagnosed with sarcoidosis is because I started coughing blood because I was stressed out from working and then they did a chest x-ray and everything. So it turned out okay. But my point is, you know, no matter how long it takes you, you got to get to a point where, where you're okay with saying no. Absolutely. And that's not my number four. So I have <laughs> four things Four. you, you say bliss. So the conquest of bliss, I say, find your oasis. Um, but I like bliss, 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 <laughs> uh, we did a story on discipline is is having that dedication and also having the hope and and finding that bliss in life so um you know mer merging that and and creating that oasis around you and that bliss of life and and using the tools that are in your life to make it the best life to to conquer the conquest yeah that's uh that's i mean that's exactly what i'm all about um and, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show even started about, you know, just allowing yourself, giving yourself room to be creative about how to make it work. You know, maybe you can't work every day the way that normal, like, like normally you used to, you know, maybe, you know, you can't work the same kind of hours or the same kinds of positions, but you get to know yourself and you get to put together a life. And, and in some ways, and maybe you disagree. Um, cause I, I mean, I, I'm not saying that pain is good, but in some ways for me, it's been a huge blessing because I suddenly have a build a life, sort of like the build a bear workshop <clears throat> where before I was in the system that everyone else is in and you're kind of assigned a life. Right. And yes. so now I'm like, oh, I actually have the freedom because of this illness, which sucks. And it's super, super challenging, but it forces me to get to know myself and gives me the freedom to put the things in my life that actually mean something to me. No, we're twinning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear that because like I'm always cautious when I talk about it because I know other people with chronic illness are not going to feel the same way. Uh, I agree. And it does take all we all make up the community. Everybody's different. We all fulfill our part. But when you have the freedom to to choose what you want to do in the the no i mean we all have that freedom we all just don't recognize it. yeah we, we were forced to see it right <laughs> and and that's why i said like having chronic illness and rare diseases made me a better person it gave me patience and and i was already good at time management but it helped me get organized it helped me see that hey i can help other people by sharing i can help other people 
by the fact that I went through these hard challenges, I found a way through. My way isn't going to be the right way or the only way. It's the way I got through, but it gives other people hope that they can choose and find a way for themselves to get through. And, and it's going to be different than I do. It's going to be different than, than anybody else. You could take literally two twins and they're going to need different things to overcome mm -hmm. the same challenge. And, um, and knowing and understanding that those are things that I got better at because I live with chronic and rare diseases. Yeah. And it takes, yeah, it, it, for me, it's a back and forth. Sometimes I'm like, I know it, I'm strong, I feel it. And then other days I, I have to convince myself. Yes. Um, but before we go on to our super, super fun game, can you tell people where they can find out more about the foundation, the magazine, you, everything? Sure. So I'll try to make it easy for you. Internationalpain.org is where you find out about International Pain Foundation, <laughs> Chronic Pain, all of, all of those projects and programs that we have set up. And then personally is barbieingle.com and Barbie's with a Y, <laughs> like Mickey Mouse. Perfect. And those will, of course, be in the show notes. I'm, I'm pointing as if anyone can see. Um, they'll be in the show notes and or description below. So don't worry. It'll just be a link click. And uh, so are you ready to play a super fun game? Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> All right. So we're going to be guessing Irish slang. What does okay. it mean to say acting the maggot? Acting the maggot. Um, acting like you're better than you are? No, <laughs> I like that I though. I don't know. It's uh, fooling around. So if, if someone's being all like, uh, like they're just like joking around and messing around, you'd say, oh, oh. he's just acting the maggot. Okay. Only you'd like say it in Irish accent. Or... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, like being being silly, kind of. Okay. Um, what does it mean to say bags, to make a bags of something? Like money like bags? The example would be he made a right bags of that. He gave you a lot of it? I don't uh, know. Apparently it means to make a mess. Uh, so this is from oh, a mess. Ireland before you die .com. I am not okay. Irish. Um, yeah. So so like maybe like you make a mess of it so that you yeah. can come up with a message afterwards. <laughs> yeah, your mess is your message, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay, banjaxed. 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 Like, um, confused? Uh, close. It's broken. Broken? Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so wow, this, this one... is like I'm learning a new language. <laughs> we're going to do three more because okay. I just randomly pick a number whenever I say we're going to do and then I pick a number. Um, what does it mean Love to say it. crack? Like, that was great crack last night. Okay. <laughs> it's not what you think. <laughs> okay. Um, um, funny? Like jokes, like a comedy show. It's yeah, it's fun. It's fun, fun. like fun. like goings on, like like the 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 happenings that are fun. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and I wonder if that's like when we say like, oh, I cracked up. Yeah, I think well, it's C R A I C, so I think it comes from Gaelic, but cracked okay. us up might come yeah. from the Irish. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, now we're I'm learning wondering. here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, two more donkeys years. Donkey's years? Yeah. Oh, that must mean you go slow because donkeys are known for going slow. So it's like taking you a long time to accomplish something. Yeah, it's a very, very long time. They, they've lived there <laughs> for donkey's years. That's oh, the, man. And the last one will be 
That doesn't sound right. Okay, uh, no. Some of them are, like, also used in England. English? English? Okay. Um, holy okay. show. What's a holy show? The example holy is she made a holy show of herself. Um. I would, I want to say, like, she was, like, in, like, in, in evangelical, like, a preacher. But I'm thinking it's totally opposite. Like, she did bad things in front of everybody. Yes, she made a disgrace of herself. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it felt like the opposite there. Yeah, <laughs> good old Irish sarcasm, I guess. Yes, <laughs> very good. Wow. Yeah, I always love the game. It, it's it always just lightens everything up. It does. Um, I, yeah, look at my smile. <laughs> so, is there anything you wanted to add before uh, before we say goodbye to the audience? Uh, I would say always remember there's great reason for hope because there is help. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for coming on, Barbie. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, one more thing. Sorry. For everybody listening, Kara is awesome. This podcast is awesome. So right now, while you're here, this is this episode's ending. Before you start the next episode, go give her a five-star rating and let her know that she's awesome, she rocks, and that you care. Oh, thank you, Barbie. <laughs> um, and so, oh, thank you so much. And You're you, welcome. you, uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. So, to uh, my listeners, I love you. Bye. Big thank you and shout out to After Dark the band. They are fantastic, and you can find them on Spotify. If you loved music in the '90s and they make you feel wholesome and happy, then you're going to love After Dark. They're such a great find. So I highly recommend going to Spotify.com and looking for After Dark. They'll be the one with the trippy cover and the song Colors.